I want you to think about this morning the first time you fell in love. I want you to think about that. I want you to remember the first time that you fell in love. Not the first time that you thought you were in love. Not the first time that you noticed someone. But the first time that you fell in love. Not the puppy love I'm talking about that happens when you're young and, you know, there's a transition that occurs. It's different ages, but, you know, girls have cooties and then suddenly they don't. Suddenly the girl that you didn't want to be around, you don't have anything to do with it. I mean, you were all about burning the Barbie dolls. You didn't want to do anything else with the Barbie dolls. And suddenly you see her as your Barbie doll. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. What does it mean to fall in love, to see someone. See, I, you know, for me, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not normal. I mean, you know that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, for me, I, it, dating was more of an economic enterprise. Uh, for me, um, and, and I, think, I think this would do great. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'll share this with the young people. I think it's a great model. Uh, not that I, I, this is something I think I was good at. Uh, and that was... I wasn't willing to go through the emotional drama that many of you go through when you date. I mean, it's just, it's just not worth it. I mean, from my standpoint, if you were not future potential, marriage potential, why am I going to waste my money? Do you know how much it costs for Valentine's Day, for Christmas, for birthday? And so I kind of had this theory in my mind. If you're going to start dating, start after February 14th. And if you're going to end it, end it before the Christmas season. That way you can just save your money. You don't have to waste your money and your influence and, you know, and, and your stuff. And I'm a, Yes. Wow. I didn't plan that one for the introduction. Um, but when I think about love, I have, to, I have to tell you. So, I mean, really, it was an economic thing in the backdrop. And I would see friends of mine, and, and here's the problem. Here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is that your job in school is to do well. To do well in sports, to do well in academics, to exceed and, and, and hopefully go to a trade school or go to college and to do well because that's going to affect your future. Your job as a young person is not to hook up. And I know hook up means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But I'm just saying that in a general case, your job is not to pair yourself with the person that you, know, you want to love. Your job is to do well. And what I saw in a lot of friends of mine is uh, you know, they, they would do well and then suddenly they would have this rocky relationship and what do you think happens to grades? What do you think happens in the team sports and all this stuff? Their performance goes down. Why? Because suddenly this can be rational. This is never rational. This is always irrational. And this is constantly affected. So I would look at my friends and I would see the drama and the trauma and the chaos and the ins and the outs of I'm dating this person. I mean, you know, I couldn't keep up with all the people that they dated. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was just absolutely absurd. So I kind of made a commitment. I didn't date. I didn't really. I mean, I would go out as friends. Uh, you know, I would go out with a group of people out to eat or I'd go out with a group to the movies or whatnot uh, until I was... In college. 
And then when I went to college, I still wasn't going to date anybody unless I knew that they were potential. And I might, I might kind of uh, kind of uh, dampen the water, so to speak, just to see if there was potential. And so I'd take somebody on the first day. And my test was, and some of you may have heard this before, but my test was if I take a girl out to eat and she actually eats what's on her plate, she'll get a second date. If I take a woman out to eat and she's afraid to eat in front of me, there's no way. That's just not going to happen because I love to eat. And I don't want anybody to be pretentious. And, and when someone would say, well, I'm watching my weight. That's just pathetic. That's just not real. And so that's con- consequently, I invited now my wife to go out to eat. And I had invited her to go on a date with me for two years. Two years. Now, this year marked our 17th year that we've actually been going out. November 20th of 1997 was our first date. It was a Thursday evening. We went to uh, Harper's Restaurant in Charlotte, and I took her to see a chick flick. Guys, that's an important thing to do when you're on the first day. We went to see Seven Years in Tibet, starring Brad Pitt. I mean, everybody likes Brad Pitt. And, uh, yeah, anyway, that's a whole other story another day. I don't remember anything about the, mo- uh, the movie. I don't remember anything about that night, but I remember her. And I remember that moment. The test was, is she going to eat? I paid $38.61 for our meal. (laughs) It was the first woman I had ever taken out that ate everything on the plate. I was so elated. I'm like, (laughs) "She she is a keeper. And so we, you know, and I was persistent. I'd asked for two years to go out with her. And she wouldn't do it. But I knew that when I saw her, I knew that when we dated, I knew that first date, by the close of that evening, I knew that she would be my wife. And so I told her, I told her when we got back to the dorm room, uh, to her dorm, you know, because I couldn't go up to her dorm because it's not proper at the Baptist school. You know, Baptists, we don't date. And so uh, I drop her off of the dorm and I told her, she goes, now, I don't do kisses on first date. I said, well, I don't either. Um, And... uh, she said, I, I said, but uh, I said, you know what? I said, you're going to marry me. And she looked at me and she said, uh, that is very presumptuous. To which I replied to her, I'm a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Eight months later, we were engaged. And about 11 months after that, we were married. And the love that I experienced in that moment, it was, it was like, and I, I think for me, and maybe, maybe this would be true for your story too, that there's a moment that happens when you're completely oblivious to everyone else around you. You're completely, if you're in a crowd of people, it's like they have blank faces. They have no face, but there's that one. It's like, ah, and there's like this, this, this hallelujah chorus goes off. At least it does in my brain. Maybe you're not a Handel fan, but, uh, you know, it goes off in my brain, and that's what it did. And it was like the light of heaven, the, 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 the ceiling of heaven, the floor of heaven opened up, and the diamonds and every, the Waterford crystal just descended upon this one woman. And she was mine. I was in love. I was caught. And there was nothing that I could do about it except take it to that next level. I hope, I hope that you... And you say, well, you know, maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, I'm not, I'm not married. I don't, I'm not really, I'm not, I don't date. It's not really an issue about marriage as much as it is about experiencing love. Whatever the greatest experience of love 
that you can experience in your relationships, I challenge you to find that niche and flourish. Maybe it, maybe it would be, it could be, you know, it could be any number of people. It could be a friend, it could be a loved one, whatever it might be. But I challenge you to find the level of intimacy in love that expresses what God wants you to be and what you want to feel. And this is how I knew I was in love and it wasn't lust. And there's a difference between love and lust. And the difference is this. Lust is what you're looking to get out of whatever you're seeking. Love is what you're willing to give to what you're seeking. I have never lusted after her. I have always loved her. She is not my possession, but she is mine and I am hers and it's all good. She has been an amazing woman, an amazing partner to me, an amazing soulmate to me. I can ask for no one else in this universe to feel the void that she has filled, which was God designed. And we look today at the Advent and we look about love and we, we see what John has to say in, in John chapter 15. And I'm going to pick up now, I read verses 1 through 17, and we're going to focus starting in verse 9. And that is, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. Love arrives in this chapter as a command. It is not a suggestion. We are not, it's not just God's suggestion that we love one another. It's not God's suggestion that, that uh, it's not just an idea that's out there. You might want to consider this. We are commanded to love one another and to demonstrate that. Now, I'm going to randomly share with you, like, you can do random acts of love. Last night, I was stuck in an airport in New Orleans. I, my flight was supposed to leave at 2 o'clock yesterday. It didn't leave till 7 p.m. Uh, bottom line is I got in at 2 a.m. this morning. And uh, as I was, I needed Starbucks coffee. I needed anything to keep me awake as I was driving. And so when I was in the airport in, uh, in Charlotte, I, um, I went to Starbucks, and there was a young lady in front of me. And she had one of those Starbucks gift cards, so she, you know, rings out. And she still owes like $2.70. And she was like, but I'm supposed to have $25 on it. Uh, and the lady went back and she goes, well, you've used it like three or four times. And she goes, well, how much is the coffee? And she said, like $5. <laughs> and she said, oh, uh, uh, well, um, and so she started looking. I said, just add it to my bill. You would have thought... I had given her a diamond ring. I mean, to get that excited over Starbucks coffee. And then I, didn't, I haven't had a chance to tell my wife that. Then she said, oh, you're married. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a pastor too, but that's beside the point. Um, randomly expressing love. Now, if you want to do that here in Elizabeth, this is what I suggest. When you're, and I've, I've done this, I've suggested this before. When you're in line uh, at Chick-fil-A or you're going to Johnson City and you're in line at Dairy Queen and you've got people behind you. Pay for the people behind you. Just randomly do it. They can't thank you for it. And then what happens is, whatever drama has gone on in their life in that moment, in that day that's brought them up to that time that they're at that drive through window, it will completely change the face of their day. Why? Because you are demonstrating love in a way that most people don't do it. Be sacrificial in your love. God says... That you and I are to love one another. It is a command. It is not a suggestion. Why is he commanding us to do that? Because we can tell we are remaining in his love 
when we keep his commands. That's how you and I know that we are in the Father's love and the Father's love is in us, is that we are being obedient to what he's told us to do. Now, why is it that he's commanding us to do this? Why is it that it's not a suggestion? I mean, why is it that he's saying, you must love one another, remain in me, remain in my love? Why does he say that? Because in verse 11, he writes, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, And that your joy may be complete. Because bottom line is this, ladies and gentlemen. Love brings joy. When you love people, it brings a smile to their face. Notice I did not say when you give someone a present. Giving someone a present is not the only way that you should be able to express love. Now, and that's been greatly difficult for me because if you've ever read uh, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, you know that people give love and people receive love in different ways. The way I give love is to buy people things. Now, unfortunately, now if I'd married someone that that's the way she received love, I buy things and it makes her happy uh, or make, you know, makes her feel important, then that's great. But the problem is that in a lot of our relationships, the way we receive love... And the way others receive love are not one and the same. We may want to experience love differently than the way we give it. So finding out how we need to give people the love, especially those that are closest to us, is vitally important to our relationships. For my wife, she would tell you, it's not about what you give me. It's about presence, experience. You and I have got to have conversations with one another about what it means to love the world, what it means to embrace the world, what it means to encourage the world, what it means to transform the world. When you and I remain in God's love, when you and I are obedient to his command, the Bible says that this love brings complete joy. And he writes here, and it's very important that we notice this, that I've told you this in verse 11, so that my joy may be in you, And that your joy may be complete. In other words, we do this so that we have his joy in us. But ultimately so our joy will be complete. The reason that God tells us to remain in him or to remain in his love is because God knows that love brings the greatest joy to our lives. There is no greater joy than experiencing God's love. Uh, I was thinking yesterday, I had my plans to be in, uh, in town by 8 o'clock last night. My flight was to arrive at 6.30. And I was thinking to myself, you know, why am I being delayed? This is ridiculous. I, I schedule plenty of time. I don't feel like driving at 2 a.m. And so I, I got, uh, I actually was in the, I'm one of those people that do not turn off their phones on planes. I just don't do that. Um, and so uh, I, I just don't do it. I just, I don't do it. I think I, I'm violating federal law, but I don't do it. Um, and um, so I'm sitting there and I'm flying like at, you know, 15,000 feet as we're climbing out. And I get a message. I get a message uh, from one of my accounts and uh, I don't even recognize who it is. And so I, I don't, I'm not able to see the message because I can't load it or whatnot. So when I land, I see this message from someone and uh, the message says the following. Todd, I have tried everything there is to try. I am miserable. I am broken. 
I don't know where to turn. My life has taken a cataclysmic fall. Everyone has abandoned me. I feel like no one loves me. I have tried to hurt myself and I have tried to end it. And I just simply don't know what to do. And I thought, God, how selfish of me to want to get back home. Because had I not, had I been back home, my phone wouldn't have been anywhere near me. I wouldn't have seen this message. And so miraculously, um, and I said that I got the text when I got, actually when we were descending, miraculously I was able to, to get that and start messaging. Uh, I was not able to, ta- uh, to talk to this individual uh, last evening, but we messaged. And um, what I find is an individual who has been brought up in an environment of love. Love is all around this individual. But this individual has obviously never experienced the love of Christ in a real way. Now, it's been all around him. I mean, this is not someone that has not been a part of church, not someone that's not been part of faith community. But it's someone that many have always assumed is okay. But it's the type of individual that's going to tell you they're okay. But in reality, there's darkness, there's hurt, there's pain, there's fear, there's hopelessness. There is no hope, there is no peace, as we've spoken about the last couple weeks. And today, this person doesn't feel loved. How is it possible, how is it possible that people who are all around us on any number of days that grow up in a faith community, that grow up in an environment where they're nurtured by parents and family and friends and church, how is it that they can arrive in their mid to late 20s completely empty and broken? I'll tell you how. It's because we've been very good at using the word love. We love football. We love Tennessee. We love shopping. We love eating. We love this piece of clothing. We love that ring. We love that guy. We love this movie. We love that house. We love this neighborhood. And the same word that we use to describe the things that we have affection for that are meaningless to our purpose and fulfillment in this life is the very same word that we say when we're with our spouse at night and we say, I love you. Or when we tell our children, I love you. There needs to be a difference in our expression of that word love and the world's embodiment of that word love. We assume that because people are in our midst, we assume that because people are around us, we're probably assuming that like everybody in the choir is, is happy and loved. We're assuming that everybody in this section is, is loved and everybody in this section is loved because you've got family and friends and everybody in this section is loved and everybody in the balcony is loved. And there may be some people in our community that are not loved, but they're not in church today and they're somewhere out of, uh, out of the misty recesses of our past and we may not understand their situation. We can understand how those people don't have love, but we know that we have love. And here's the greatest issue of our day there are so many people that cross our paths day in and day out that we have no idea 
what they're experiencing inside. This entire year, every single sermon of this entire year has been to express and to begin to claim and to begin to point at the reality that you and I are not alone, that you and I have got struggles. And some of you I know are tired of hearing it. Some of you are tired of hearing it. But it takes that long. It takes that many opportunities to really help people understand that you and I on our best day absolutely need the miraculous work of God in our lives. We need to be touched by his love. We need to be able to experience it. We need to be able to know it. Because life is not always going to be, what I said last week, a hallmark experience. And there are people that are hurting all around us. Now this particular individual that contacted me last night, it's been several years since I've talked to him. I have seen him in passing. It's been several years since I've talked to him. And it's obvious to me that all of this has been bottled up. And some of you in this very room have a similar situation that you're going through. And you've got anxiety and you are depressed. You have the perfect little family. You have the perfect little job. You have the perfect little home. But your heart is not right with God. You are experiencing anguish in this moment. And what you're doing is you're sitting there and you're saying, I really want him to stop speaking about this because it's affecting me emotionally. Guess what? You've already been affected emotionally when you have chosen to turn it off. To not go there anymore. To wall up that section of your soul. To wall up that section that absolutely desperately needs the dramatic touch of God. God says... You need to love others. You need to remain in me. You need to remain in my love because why? Love brings complete joy. How long has it been since you were joyful? You know, when I think about the first time that there was that aha moment... You get those kind of warm, fuzzy feelings of remembering what it used to be. It's kind of nostalgic. And it's great that God gives us the ability of remembering what was. And I look in that moment uh, when I first met her, when I saw her, and I thought, my heart palpitated, and I thought, hubba bubba, here we go. I was so excited, so on fire. Like many marriages, mine included, in the very beginning, it's so strong. You're so excited. You know, when I started dating her, I didn't know this, but she was doing an internship. She was dressed to the nines every day. I mean, dressed, I mean, I mean, wow. Then that internship ended, and she showed up in sweatpants and a sweatshirt to class. I mean, I literally thought she was going for a mental break. I thought she was having a mental break or something. I mean, something's going wrong here. And then she was like, no, this is, this is how I am normally. Oh, really? I can't do anything about this now. <laughs> Rebate! <laughs> but I remember that like it was yesterday. And that love and that experience. 
And what it tells me is that as my wife and I, as we begin to know each other and as we begin to express things to each other, my wife knows, and, and some of you may not agree with this. I don't really care. This is just what worked for us. My wife knows everything about me. Everything. As much about me as what I've been able to confess to God. Now, God does me a lot more, uh, a lot more about me uh, than, than she does and a lot more about me than I do. But I was very transparent and authentic with her about this is my highs, this is my lows, this is where I've been, this is where I was soaring, this is where I was in decline, this is where I really, really messed up. And she expressed the same kind of things. And what was amazing to me is that someone could say, I do, knowing where I had been. That is a demonstration of God's sacrificial love. The fact that God loves us despite who we are, despite how great we think we are, or despite how low we've actually been. Our joy is complete because when you and I have that confidence on our day of chaos, when you and I are in the midst of a storm, we can remember and we can think and we can realize that God's been with us all this time. And so he'll be with me in this moment as well. And it's such a great relief to find a friend, a confidant, a spouse that loves you in that way. And that you love that individual in that way. Come hell or high water, it does not matter. Why? Because love brings complete joy you may say i don't have a marriage like that listen i don't have a perfect marriage either she's not perfect i knew y'all would appreciate that i'm gonna be sleeping on the couch tonight nobody has a perfect marriage and, you know, I can't tell you, and in no way, shape, or form, is my marriage a model for what you should do. You want to look at, at a model for marriage, read what God says. This is what I know, that when you love your significant other, if you're willing to love them, if you're willing to embrace them more than you embrace yourself, when you're willing to love them sacrificially, your marriage will change. I don't care how bad it is. But here's the thing. You can't love in a way that you don't have it. You can't love sacrificially unless you have identified with what the sacrificial love means. Sacrificial love is not just warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not just buying a Valentine's card and showing up with a box of chocolates. Sacrificial love is so much more than that. Sacrificial love it really, can, and, it's, and it's not major things. It's not these, we tend to think, we kind of, we, we sweep these things in broad strokes of, oh, if I could demonstrate my love for my, my husband, or if I could demonstrate my love for my wife, I would do this. And we, we name whatever that great feat that we want to do. But I can tell you that the greatest appreciation when you demonstrate love, it's on the ordinary, everyday things. For instance, gentlemen, you work all day long, but... Many of your wives work all day long as well. So when you come home and you want to sit there and watch the CBS Evening News, or you want to go to the icebox and get you a drink and sit down and relax and unplug for a little bit, if you want to demonstrate your love 
why not do a load of clothes? You want to demonstrate your love, why not wash the dishes? You don't have to do something grand. You don't have to go out and spend a lot of money. You don't have to buy that brand new Lexus that they're advertising on television to make their dreams come true. Because that dream will be true on Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas you're going to owe some money. It's the simple things that can move mountains. Faith as small as a mustard seed move mountains. Love expressed in a small, unconditional way can transform your life. Love came small. It came in a box. It came in a manger. It came as a baby. It came as poor. It came as unknown in a matter of three years from the beginning of that child, that man's ministry. The world was turned upside down. Why? Because he remained in the Father's love. And as a result of remaining in the Father's love, it baptized, so to speak. It conditioned, it infiltrated, it embodied That love in every human relationship, even the ones that would put him on a cross. That is sacrificial love. How do I know that that's what he's writing about here? Because he says, greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down their life for a friend. Not that you would lay down your life for your spouse. Not that you would lay down your life for your kids. Any one of us would do that. But that you would lay down your life for a friend. Friend or a neighbor or a person that you may not even know. That is what it means to love as God loves. God loves us with an everlasting love. Love brings complete joy because love absolutely mesmerizes our relationships. And here's the beautiful point. Love occurs because God has chosen us. Verse 16 of the passage says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. God has chosen us to bear fruit, to bear fruit that will last. I know many of you want to jump there and say, Aha, aha, I love the ending part of verse 16. That whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Dear God, I'd like a million million dollars. Some of you have prayed those kind of prayers. Whatever you ask for in His name, what does that mean? It means that whatever you ask for as a result of remaining in His love will be brought to fruition. I'll give you a prime example of a prayer, a private prayer that I offered. When we began Operation Christmas Child with these boxes... You did, I don't know, 30 or 40 last year. And uh, Charlotte said, why don't we do 100? I said, 125. And I thought, you know what? That, why don't, God, wouldn't it be awesome if we could do over 200? Could you just make that happen? Whatever you ask in my name, it will be credited to you. Listen, 380 boxes we got. Listen, it's not about the prayer that I offered, but it's about seeking the face of God that I have no control over. It's not about me benefiting from it. Heavens no, dyeing my hair orange is not a benefit. It's not about me benefiting from it. 
It's about seeking ultimately what God would want to bless to begin with. When you and I think through the Father's love, when we are embraced with the Father's love and we begin to pray, those God-honoring prayers happen because we are loving. Now you say, now Todd, I have some theological issues with that because I'm really serious and I'm really honest and I love people and then someone gets a bad diagnosis and I pray and it doesn't happen, but I'm remaining in his love. What is your motive in praying for an individual? We typically pray that someone will get better, someone will get well. And we have defined better and well to be a clean bill of health. What if that's not God's ultimate design? What if God's ultimate design is to allow that loved one, as painful as it might be for you and me and that individual to go through it, what if God's design is for him to display his love and his power and his glory through that storm and through that experience? You and I may not get always what we want, but we get exactly what we need. And we trust God to understand and we trust God that he's working in our lives to bring about amazing results. Maybe results that we don't expect, but nevertheless, He is there. So when we ask, we receive. Maybe not what we asked for, but we receive always an answer to the prayer that we offer. Love as God has loved. Maybe you're here this morning and you have, love has been all around you. Maybe you've gone from one relationship to another relationship and you, really, your life, you have to have, you have to be connected with somebody. You, you have, that's just, that's just the way you feel that it works. You, you have to be involved with somebody to have significance. That is the biggest lie that the enemy will tell you. You don't have to have anybody but God. God alone can give you the love that you need. If you're trying to find love somewhere else, I don't care if it's a, it's a noble relationship. I don't care if they're a great person. If you are seeking to find the love of God in someone else rather than in Him, you will never be satisfied. You will never be complete because you and I were designed from the very beginning to be at one with Him first. And then as a result of that relationship being solid, being foundational to every other experience in life, then the other relationships are transformed. Don't think you're going to be able to find God in this relationship without going to the Father first. If you look around yourself today and your relationships with people are in chaos, it needs to begin with your relationship with the Father. Because He says... We are to remain in his love. He tells us that love brings complete joy. And he tells us that he has chosen us. Whether or not you wanted to be picked is completely irrelevant. He has chosen you. He has chosen us. If you don't have the marriage that you want, if you don't have the relationship with your mom or dad that you've wanted... It begins with your relationship with God. 
my hope and prayer as we end this year is that we continually create an environment here at First Baptist Church where people feel welcomed, where people feel equipped, and where people feel loved. Regardless of where they are, regardless of who they are, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their situation, we don't get to choose who we love. We are commanded to love. You want to see sin go away? You want to see lives changed? The source of it is love. The truth of God expressed in the love of Christ. That's the hope that I'm going to give this afternoon to this young man that contacted me yesterday. Is that you can be a highly functioning individual. You can have all your, your T's crossed, all your I's dotted, your P's and Q's can be perfect. But God has chosen you. Where is he in the equation? Is he front and center stage? Or is he like the Grand Wizard of Oz behind the curtain for you? God needs to be center stage. Love compels us to seek him. Love should be at the center of our relationships, our marital relationships, our friendships. And here's what will happen. When that occurs, when that is realized in our life and in our lives, our world will be turned upside down because we will experience joy like we have never experienced it before. So don't just go out with people just to get something out of them. God's chosen you. God has chosen you. God has chosen you. God has chosen us. Don't thwart his choice. Don't play games with his love. He didn't play games with it. He gave sacrificially for you and for me. I don't want you to have a warm, fuzzy Christmas. I want you to experience the love of Christ that was born in a manger, that went to a cross, that was resurrected, that gives us hope and peace and joy for our lives. So that when we, like this young man that I spoke or that I was conversing with last night, when we experience that type of depravity, and if you haven't, you will. When you and I experience kind of the woe is me moment, when nothing's making sense, we don't feel like we have an advocate on any side, when we've contemplated the very value of our life and we've thought about taking it, or we've even made plans of how we're going to do it. It's in that moment that we need to know and come back to this moment in which we said, God, I know that you have chosen me. And so as we pray to him and we say, God, will you be with me in my moment? Amazing things begin to transpire. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today and and this invitation... God, for so many of us, our hearts are are heavy, burdened. Like Mary, when the angel appeared to her, she was 
heavy burdened with what to do with this truth that was going to come and be born. How was she to make sense out of this untold reality? And yet she in faith followed suit and as a result a child was born that would transform the world. And the same child that was born 2,000 years ago needs to be born in our lives in the here and now to make a tangible difference in our relationships, a tangible difference in the faith that we embody, in the faith that we hope for, in the faith that we believe in. Some of us are carrying a huge load today. And our soul needs to magnify the Lord God Almighty. As He comes this Advent, as He has His beginning in this world, as we celebrate God becoming flesh, may He become flesh and real to us today. And so if there's someone here who's never trusted in Christ, who's never ever tangibly been touched by God, May this be the moment that they experience the truth of His work, the power of His grace, and the hope of a life that can be theirs. If there's someone else here that says, Todd, I accepted Christ years ago, but I have never understood the love that He has had for me. I've never been able to demonstrate the love that He gave on the cross for me. It has never been able to be magnified in my relationships, in my home, in my family, in my workplace. Today, I want to lay my family at the altar and say, God, will you give me the strength and the courage to love as you loved? Maybe someone today says, you know, I see people in the community and their life does not match up with God's word. They're living a life of sin. They're living out of the constraints of godliness and goodness. Instead of judging them, I hope and I pray that you, as you come today, will offer them as a sacrifice to God and say, I want you, God, to put them in my life. I want to be able to have coffee with them. I want to be able to have a conversation with them because I know That you, God, have chosen them. And you've chosen me to be an instrument of peace. An instrument of grace. An instrument of your power of forgiveness. So let it be. Maybe there's someone else here today that says, God, I want to be used by you in an amazing way. I have come from nothing. But God, you have given me all things. God is in the business of changing lives, of giving the love that we have hoped and longed for. The peace that you and I desire is simply a decision away. So won't you come? As we open the invitation today, whether you're in the balcony, whether you're on the back pew, whether you're on the front row, I invite you to come to this altar to pray for you, to pray for your family, to pray for your co-workers, to pray for people that have not experienced the love of Christ. And in 2015, may God be committed to using you to transfer lives for His name. Won't you come? Won't you make a decision? Won't you commit to praying? Won't you commit to loving? Love is the answer to our prayers. It is the hope of a generation. You and I will never be able to love people more than what God loves us. This is the invitation. Don't sit idle. Don't sit idle. Don't pray that this time passes, but you respond in obedience to God's direction for your life. Won't you come as we stand in Christ alone? In Christ alone, won't you come?